0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership.
1: Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. It's great to have your company. My name's David Frizzell, and I've got to tell you, I'm particularly excited about this one. Every now and then, I stumble across a collection of words that are just so poignant, so powerful. Play a bigger game. For me, those four words say more than a whole bunch of books of 500 pages or more. There's just so much in them. It describes in depth one of the most powerful concepts that can lead me, you, all of us, to a life that's more satisfying, a life that's more rewarding, a life that's a bit happier. I stumbled across those words on the net. I tracked down their author and I invited him on the show. It's Rowdy McLean. And I hope you enjoy our chat as much as I did. Rowdy McLean, welcome to the Team Guru podcast. Good morning. Rowdy, I'm really looking forward to our chat. We've been uh, lining this up for a little while. And you know what? You're one of these rare conversations that I've actually extracted from LinkedIn. There's a lot of noise on LinkedIn and you have caught my attention because you've got a couple of cool labels on your LinkedIn profile that grabbed my attention we'll talk about those in a little while and they're part of your story and they're fascinating but what we really the 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 crux of what we're going to talk about is your main message this this fabulous set of words play a bigger game it's awesome it's uh you know your message is so powerful you your message is all around your book and the speaking you do and the writing you do. Centered on that one message, it's it's a great set of words, play a bigger game, because for everyone who hears them, it, they have immediate meaning. But to get started, I'd love to hear what those words mean to you. Why are they the important words that you've settled on to lead your message?
0: You know, I, I spent uh, I spent a lot of time trying to find the right words that that fit for me, you know, and we're always looking, all of us are looking for that that brand element that really mm. resonates with who we are. And, and uh, I had a coffee with a, a, a great mate of mine, and he said to me, you know, Rowdy, every time I'm in your presence, I always walk away thinking I could play a bigger game. And so I ran that past a few other colleagues, and they've gone, yeah, that's right. And so, you know, ultimately, that's just how I think, behave, and act in my life. It's my natural way of, showing up just thinking about how can i tweak something or change something or make progress in some way all the time not in a frantic burn you out sort of way but in a a way that just helps me over a period of you know sometimes 10 years get to where i want
1: to be and i'm guessing that over your life even before you landed on that magic set of words that have such resonance I'm imagining that over your life that concept kind of solidified for you and and clarified and and at at some point you started adding up all the things that you did, and you realized that one of the themes to them is that you just tend to play a bigger game than some people around you is Is that the way it's kind of played out through your life and your career? Yeah, absolutely. When I look back after that coffee conversation and
0: thought about the things that I had done in my life, that's how I'd been approaching life all that's how you as a
1: kid, yeah. So when you look around, and we're going to get, for the listeners, we're going to get to what it really means, and, and when you do your speaking and in your book, in all the way that you message, I'm going to ask you to share with us the key concepts of that so our listeners can take it away. But when you, when you look at that concept and you look at the people around you, what percentage of the population do you reckon are playing a bigger game? whether they know those that set of words or not, who gets that concept and is living their life driven by that philosophy? Is it a good percentage or is it a really low percentage?
0: I think the percentage of people who realize it is actually quite small. The percentage yeah. of people who are capable of it is absolutely massive.
1: Right. That's interesting. And what separates those people, the people who get it? What is it about them? What, what are the common denominators in those that you've met who are similar to you in that way, that they really understand this concept? I think,
0: you know, I think today we live in a cotton wool society where we're constantly told that uh, something won't work or something's not a good idea or, you know, somebody else has already done it. And so the, I think we live in a world that tempers that desire to really push hard to chase down our hopes and dreams. And so I think that's probably the biggest element is, is some people A bit soft. look at the world and go, oh, maybe. Some people look at the world and go,
1: oh, yeah, possibly, you know. And so, so give us some examples. When you think back over your life and, you, and this, this idea has emerged, what are some of the things that you've done you know, through your life and through your career that are evidence of this, that have led you to this point?
0: Well, I, um, I went to Sydney to play uh, football and, and go to college first person in my school. To do that first person in my family to do that you know i started a, a a communications company in competitions at telstra when i was 24 and retired when i was 34 i was headhunted to turn around the uh, australia's biggest hospitality company and that's how i fell into a speaking career because I, sp- I spent six years making that into a terrific success and then got invited to speak at conferences and events about the turnaround and then this, people will say to me well you need to write a book about it so i wrote my first book, Play Bigger Game, and, and my latest obsession for the last – it's been an obsession all my life, really, but I, my last book is about the about leadership. I think the world right now needs remarkable leaders. And so, you know, I just start doing those things, and then I look back and go, geez, I've come such a long way, you know. And I'm just a, I'm just an average guy from a little tiny country town who, uh, who just got out and had a go. You know, there's nothing special about – rowdy that's any more special than any of your listeners.
1: But you've just made those decisions. And and I love that. It's just simple, just a, a series of simple decisions where you kind of took the challenge on. You know, I bet there are a lot of guys your age in your town playing footy who were pretty good or loved footy, but just never thought of taking that big step and saying, hey, you know what? I love footy. I'm going to go and have a crack in Sydney. But you were the one who did that. And as you say, your life is just a series of examples of you taking that- I don't know the the more difficult route that led to greater reward.
0: Yeah, and, and sometimes it's not actually that difficult. It's just making the decision, doing the work, and then showing up. Is there a boldness about it? Absolutely, you know, because if you if you're not prepared to be bold, then the dream stealers will talk you out of it. You know, yeah, you have to be bold enough to keep going, whether you, your friends think it's a good idea or your colleagues or your boss or your partner sometimes you just have to go out and give it a go regardless of what everybody else thinks
1: so we're going to come back to that idea of dream stealers in a minute that's a really valuable important concept to this for people who are tinkering with the idea of of stepping out of their comfort zone and doing the equivalent of saying hey I love footy I'm going to move to Sydney there will be people around you who say, hey, what are you, crazy? No one's ever done that before. People just play in this town. This is what we do. Those people who, because they can't imagine themselves doing it, they, they kind of bring you back. We'll get to that in a minute. I love that concept. But there's something really interesting in there for all of us listening, all of us working through a career and working out how we're going to make the most of it. The idea that you created a booming business in your mid-20s and then- had retired at 34. Now the imagery around that suggests that you made so much cash at the age of 34. You said, "Hey, I don't need to do this anymore. I can hang up my suit and pick up the golf clubs for the rest of my life." Is that where you were at at 34?
0: That's where I was at at 34. So I had this uh, had this dream of retiring by the time I was 40. So doing it by 34 was just that nailed it. Yeah. But I, all, all I wanted to do, the dream was I would go to the beach in the morning, play golf in the afternoon, beach in the morning, golf in the afternoon, beach in the morning, oh. golf in the afternoon.
1: Oh, stop it. You're making me feel
0: ill. <laughs> the problem with that, the only other people who could play golf every
1: day are seventy. 65. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and is that one of the things? Did you get bored in retirement because you did what you thought you would do? You You had this vision, but it was actually – I don't know, not boring. The beach and golf could never get boring, but you you realized that you still had a lot more energy. There was still a lot more to do and and something lured you out of that retirement. Is that the way it worked?
0: That's the way it worked. To be honest with you, I did get bored because the the things that we desire to do in our free time, we get to do occasionally. We really enjoy them, but when Mm. you can just do it all day, every day, yeah, um, it, it can become boring unless it's a creative, you know, passion like an artist or, or, or writing or something like that, where it's different day in, day out. But you know, I I had to find something to do. I was going crazy. Yeah.
1: I love that. I've I've probably mentioned it on this show a bunch of times. That is my dream. You you have exactly expressed my dream there. Swimming in the morning, whether it's at the pool, I I like I swim at the, in the pool a lot swimming in the morning, golf in the afternoon, six days a week. I reckon I could pull that off, but people often say to me, no, you can't. You wouldn't be able to do that. You'd get bored and and you're a little bit of evidence of that. All let right, right, let's, let's talk about this concept of play a bigger game. Rowdy, when you are trying to convince people to shape their life differently, to look at their options differently and dream bigger for themselves- where do you start whether it's with an individual or a group what's your process of getting people to think this way and then i guess have the courage to take the action that will lead them down that path
0: well the first thing is self-leadership and uh, in the modern era where um, you know whether it's a small business or whether it's a corporation there's this in- increased complexity and ambiguity you know there's changing customer expectations the diversity of cultural challenges of the modern workforce and, and you can get caught up focusing on everything that's going on around you instead of focusing on you the, the very first step is to be a self-driven leader of your own world the way you show up the way you behave the way you think the way you act And if you can get through that then the world's to oyster after that whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization.
1: So, deciding to take ownership of your own life and and leadership of your own life—it's uh, it's an alluring concept. It's very powerful. It makes a lot of sense, but. There's a lot of barriers in there for people who haven't been living that way, for people who have kind of let life write their script for them, almost, and I don't want to exaggerate, almost being a victim of circumstance, just being almost like they're being thrown around by the waves of life and just going where the current takes them. What are the barriers that exist within that for people? So it's fine for you to say, hey, step up and be a self-leader, and this is what that means, but for your clients and the people who attend your talks and the people you mentor, what are the barriers that exist for them?
0: I think there are four things that all of us control or all of us can control, but 99% of us don't control. But if we did, playing a bigger game or, or that idea of self-leadership would be so much easier. And I'll give you an example of this. I did a really huge conference in Melbourne last week and I asked the audience, I, I, one of the things that I've done is I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and I tell a story about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and at the at the end of telling that story, I asked the people in the room how many people thought that they would be capable of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. So in a room of 400 people, there were only two people who put their hand up. Yeah. I then walked the entire audience through the concept of play a bigger game, self-leadership, and the four things that they control, and asked the question again, and there are only four people in the room who didn't put their hand up. So, that, you know, in 45 minutes, you can take
1: somebody from… Can completely change their mindset.
0: Yeah, there's no way I could climb the highest freestanding mountain in the world to, oh, actually, life's simpler than I thought, and with a little bit of effort, I reckon I could probably do it.
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: All right. Well, what are those four
1: things that we can control? I knew you were going to ask that, <laughs> <laughs> well, mate. It would be a podcasting crime if I didn't, because you just you just teased us with it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, the first thing is you need to be in complete control of your attitude at any given time, on any given day, under any given circumstances. And by that, I mean there is nothing in the entire world that will alter the way you show up other than the way you choose to show up. And by, you know, probably longer than this podcast uh, to explain it in detail, but, but uh, the shortest way I can explain it is that you don't, you know, if a customer's rude to you, you don't let that affect you. If your boss gives you a hard time about your performance, you don't let that affect you. You just go, I'm going to be responsible for how I show up all day, every day. And if you're showing up as a clown and an idiot, You'd need to adjust that, right? So some people go, yeah, I'm responsible for how I show up. I, they don't realize that the way they're showing up is, is not appropriate for the circumstances. But when you get to the point where you can go, I'm in complete control of my attitude and I'm going to be the best I can possibly be no matter what's going on around me, then you start to change the game immediately.
1: That's a fantastic piece of advice and and, and it, a theme through so many powerful speakers. I don't know if you've ever read that fabulous book, Fish. You know about the fish market yeah, in yeah. Seattle. I went, I visited that fish market at Christmas time. It was amazing, and and actually, the guys who work at the fish market are very aware of the book, and they have people talk to them about it all the time. But one of those, one of the advices of the piece of culture that a uh, piece of advice about workplace culture that they give in the book is choose your attitude, and that's exactly what you're saying there. We are in complete control of the attitude that we have. And more so, we're in complete control of the way we respond to outside events, what people say and do to us, the things that happen, the the bad luck that we might have. We get to choose our response to that, and it takes, a, as you pointed to, some level of self awareness to decide. Not only am I choosing my response, but how does that look to other people? Because as you said, if you're turning up as a clown, but you think that's okay. Then you're lacking self awareness. You're lacking the ability to see how your behavior looks through the eyes of others. So there's a fair bit in that one concept, choosing your attitude the way that you choose to show up. I love it, Rowdy. What's number two?
0: So, number two is being completely responsible for your choices. And uh, again, uh, that's driven by a world gone soft, you know, where it's easy to go, easy to blame the choices that you made on somebody else or Some circumstances, but you know, when you get to the point where you you own the choices, you go. That was my choice. It was a good Mm. choice or it was a bad choice. Debrief the choice and change direction or improve the process. But if you allow others to take responsibility for your choices, you're never just you're never going to show up. You're never going to be able to play play a bigger game. And one of the things when I'm working with leadership teams and, and I asked them about uh, some choice that they've made, some strategy or decision that they've put in place. And uh, you know, well, why did you do that? And they go, Oh, it just seemed like the, a good idea at the time. I could almost mm. slap them because…
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a career-limiting move.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I, I think we have the opportunity to… One of the great things about being a human being, particularly in this wonderful country that we live in, is the freedom of choice. And so mm. if you're going to make choices, make them with absolute purpose. And, and that's the story behind my Kilimanjaro story. You know, I um, like any typical Australian, I had a 21st where we had a barbecue in the backyard, got a couple of kegs, invited all the mates around, drank way too many beers and woke up the next day with a hangover. Then mm. when I was 30, I'm a bit more mature, I'll grab a group of friends, we go out to a lovely restaurant, we um, drink way too much red wine, and wake up the next day with a hangover. And then when I was 40, we uh, grabbed a couple of close friends, flew up to Hamilton Island, drank cocktails till 3 a.m. the next morning, woke up with a hangover. I've gone, how am I going to celebrate my 50th? And the first thing I said is it's not going to follow that pattern anymore. So No hangover. That's that whole idea of, you know, watching the pattern of your choices and going, those choices, you know, while the 21st was great fun and, uh, you know, the 30th and the 40th were great fun, I just didn't want to go through that process again for my 50s. So I stood at the peak of the highest freestanding mountain in the world for my 50th birthday. But that's just that process of going, what choices am I making? Are they right choices? Or even if they have been the right choices in the past, could I make a different one going forward? And I say to the leaders that I work with, what's, you know, if you're thinking about this choice, what would be a choice in the top 1% of choices? Because I think the other thing in the world going soft is, we make choices that are not in that top bracket. You know, we take make choices that have half the interest, or half the effort, or half the application in them, and wonder why they turn out Half that the reward, mm,
1: yeah. yeah, interesting. And you know, as, as a society, we're kind of geared culturally to admire people who make great choices. You know, any rags to riches story or any. Perseverance in the face of adversity, kind of a story. We we admire. So many movies are based on that theme. And what those movies and stories are really about is someone who is thrown uh, challenges at life, and they refuse to be a victim of them. They make powerful choices so that they still make progress and get to where they want to go. So we admire that as a society. But anecdotally, so often. Individuals in society don't make those kind of powerful choices. They they do let themselves be thrown around by the waves and and don't take responsibility for their choices. It's almost as if they don't realise the extent to which they have choices.
0: I think you're exactly right. And you know the the reason that those uh, people get made into heroes and made into movies is because they're quite rare. Well, mm. I wouldn't say quite rare, but it's not common. But with a little, t- tiny, tiny bit of effort, it could be very common.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. All right, they're, they're great. The first one was choose your attitude. The second one was be responsible for your choices. What's number three?
0: Number three is execute with absolute integrity. And by that I mean do what you say you're going to do in the way you say you're going to do it, when you say you're going to do it, every single time without fail. Because that that's what builds trust and integrity, remember you know? And, and that's the most valuable organizational currency today for, for leaders and, and for people in their personal life. When you get to the point where you, you do that without fail, people build relationships with you that are so strong. It's incredible. And yeah, that's the way I've lived my life. You know, I, uh, I recently, just last year, I walked the Kokoda track, which is more challenging than climbing Killy and, uh, I was doing all the training and the preparation for it and, and my left knee blew up and uh, went to the doctor, did everything we could, put it in a brace. And here I am two weeks out and sitting in the lounge with an ice pack and a brace on my knee. But if you had have asked any of the three guys out of the 11 guys that were going, the three, there were three guys who know me like brothers. If you had have asked them, look at Rowdy, do you think he's going to make it? They would have went, if he said he's going to do it, he'll do it. Then, yeah. And I'll just give you some. This is probably a good insight to that player being a game mindset. So I just went, all right. So here's the situation. I've got a knee that's blown up. I've got to walk, Killy. I'm not going to pull out. So what do I do? So I, I went and saw a physio. I said, "Here's the story with my knee. Can you show me how to strap it?" And I videoed him strapping my knee so that uh, I could give it all the support I could possibly give it. I got uh, went to a doctor, got a whole heap of uh, anti inflammatories that I could take during the, the course of the walk. I got some uh, walking poles that would help me support the weight as I went up and down the, the hills and I got a, a set of orthotics in my boots so that so it, what I basically did went was go, all right, so I'm gonna do this. There's no way in the world I'm not gonna do this. What are all the things I could possibly do to minimize the impact of this problem knee that I've got? And you know, at the end of the day I made it was fairly painful, but I made it. But that's how we can, you know, that's the idea around execution. I told these people that I was going to do it, and there was nothing that was going to stop me from doing it.
1: That idea of executing with integrity, that's a big, chunky level that you just described. And it happens on a micro level every day. When you say you're going to have this piece of work done, or you say you're going to be at that meeting at 3 o'clock, or if you say you're going to do this or do that, it's just that unwillingness to accept any excuses for yourself never giving yourself an excuse to opt out on what you said you were going to do. It's a a really powerful message. Now, Rowdy, do you find yourself telling people you're going to do something because that motivates you to follow through and do it? Occasionally, occasionally. So (laughs) so Sometimes I won't
0: tell somebody, I I might have an idea that I am going to do something, but I won't put it out there until I'm absolutely sure that I'm going to do it. Because otherwise, you undermine your own levels of trust and integrity. But I think, mm. and you've just touched on it perfectly, one of the things that drags you into the future is coming up with a, a big goal and then sharing it with mm. people who expect you to achieve things, right? And, and it just might be that last little 3% you need to push you across the line.
1: Mm. I find myself doing that. When I've got a plan, I, I I tell people. So it kind of holds me to account. and. And in some ways, I think that's good. And it's certainly a habit that's been right through my life that I've kind of only just identified in the last few years. I think it's good. But then I sometimes wonder, oh, is that me doubting my internal locus of control? Am I kind of saying to myself, hey, I need a little bit of external pressure in order not to give up on myself here?
0: I think it's the latter. It's somebody saying to themselves, I wonder if I really have the motivation required to do this. If I put it out there, I know that I've got enough trusted friends who push me just hard enough to make sure that I get across the line. I remember when I uh, I woke up one Sunday morning and was reading the paper and I read an article that uh, had said that less than 1% of the entire population had ever run a full marathon. And yeah. I thought, yeah, now that's me, you know. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm not a runner. But I knew that if I went through the process of doing the plan and, and everything that I could do it. But I went to golf and shared it with a mate of mine, Barry, and he became the greatest motivator for me because every time I see him, he'd go, Hey, go, mate. Have you managed to run around the block yet? You know, <laughs> he's in a golf ball towards me on the golf course and going, oh, you can't even get out of the way of a golf ball. He's going to run 46k. But I think that's part of. It. Understanding play being a game, but it doesn't necessarily have to be all internally driven. It can be internally inspired and externally driven, which is what the case was with the marathon. I
1: like that. Internally inspired and externally driven. So, have you run that marathon?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. I did run the Gold Coast Marathon three hours and 34
1: minutes. That's, hey, that's a, mate, that is a decent time. That is a good marathon time.
0: Yeah, no, I was pretty happy with it. How long ago was that? Oh, that was a long time ago, mate. It was a long time ago.
1: <laughs> so you've climbed Kilimanjaro, you've walked the Kokoda Trail, you've run a marathon. Anything else of those, those kind oh, of headline yeah. challenges?
0: Yeah, I've kayaked in Antarctica. Yeah, I've uh, the wow. great Wall of China in winter, in the snow, which is, nice. which is just that idea of, well, you know, when does everybody else do it? Yeah. They do it at this time. What, what yeah. would it be like to do it in these circumstances? And you know there's probably heaps more, and I just do them. I don't really think that much about them. I just go, "This is where I'm going." And my next thing is, is I would li- love to raft the length of the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon, but Lovely. in a dory, not in a rubber tourist
1: <laughs> That's great, mate, and it just fits in with everything else. You know, the small town country kid coo- who had the balls to move to Sydney to play footy, the guy that started a business at 24 to. Give some competition to Telstra and then retired at 34 and started living his dream six years ahead of plan. It all just fits really nicely. I love it, Rowdy. I love the story. All right. So you're telling us about the four things that we control. The first one is choosing our attitude, the way we show up. The second one is taking responsibility for every single one of our choices. The third one is to execute with integrity, to do what you say you're going to do, how you're going to do it. What's number four? Number four is the easiest of all. We just need to get some grit,
0: get some staying power. Most of us give up when success is just around the corner. You know, we just don't stick at our hopes and dreams long enough to see them come into reality. And so, you know, just staying the course longer than the next person is going to give you a much greater chance of success. We just throw in the towel
1: way too easy, I think, in the modern world. That's fabulous advice. I love it. And now, one of the questions here, and I don't know what the answer is going to be to this one, is this concept for everyone? Do you think that every single person in society, if you got to have a conversation with them or they read your book or attended one of your keynote speeches, do you think that this message is relevant to them? Or are there some people who are just not designed to play a bigger game? They are designed to be mediocre, to, 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 <laughs> take, to take the easy route.
0: Uh, My answer to that is no, nobody is designed to be mediocre. You know, we're hardwired as human beings, we're hardwired to make progress. So, you know, you're the latest, greatest model in human being history, you know, and uh, your ancestors have survived fire and famine and floods and plague and disease and disasters to puts you into the position that you're in today. You're the latest, greatest model of human being that's ever existed. You're wired to make progress, and the whole of humanity is wired to make progress. And so there's nobody, I think, in the entire planet who shouldn't be making some sort of progress. And that's what play bigger game's about. Play bigger game for me is not about everybody climbing mountains and running marathons. Playing a bigger game might be, you know, reading to your kids four nights a
1: week you know? Because you don't do it now and you know it's the right thing to do.
0: Exactly. You're a busy executive, you know, your kids are growing up, you sit down at some stage and go, "Oh, they're just growing up way too fast. and So you go, I'm going to play big. I'm going to make the decision to do something that's uh, difficult for me to fit in and hard for me to find the time, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it without fail.
1: And that's just as big a game for me. It's probably a bigger game than climbing Killy or doing anything that I've done. Because of everything that comes with that relationship you get of lying on your kid's bed at night and reading them a story before they go to bed. That's a, a really beautiful example. If I'm 30, which I'm not, I'm about to turn 44. <laughs> if I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60, listening to this podcast thinking, that all sounds great, Rowdy, but I have wasted X number of years. I have been playing a mediocre game. I've been taking the easy road. I have been letting life write the script for me too late. I've wasted the opportunity now. I'm not going to turn it around now. I might as well just continue this easy route, the one that I've set up for myself. What do you say to that?
0: I think it's never, ever, ever too late. Never, ever too late. You know, I think the people who, you know, well, you hear this all the time, people retire at 65 or 66 years of age, they've been active and working and doing so much and they retire and they die three or four years later. And it's tragic. Yeah, and it's because they've, they've gone, you know, we're searching life for this place where we're comfortable and everything's predictable and the same day in, day out, but it, it actually kills us, you know. We're designed to be creative, to push the boundaries, to... Find new ways, new ideas, new things to do, and and you can do that right through your entire life. I'm, I'm a massive Rolling Stones fan. I love the Rolling Stones, and I've been fortunate enough to see them in concert all over the world. But you know, Mick Jagger one surprised. of my inspirations, mate. 74 years of age, and he yeah. dances around the
1: stage like a 24 year old. Yeah, I, I look at him and go, well, if Mick can do it, Rowdy can do it. Yeah, that's great, and. Then, and when, when you're talking to people, what kind of excuses do they give you? What even if they've tapped into these concepts, these four things that we can all control in our life, what excuses still run through people's heads that they've got to climb over top of? I think people adopt the excuses
0: of society. And by that I mean we've been sold the quick fix in life, right? And we want the quick fix, you know. Mm like uh, rock-hard abs in six minutes a day. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. All you have to do is buy this uh, little aluminium rocker thing, cost yeah. you $39.95, six payments, folds up, slides in underneath the bed, use that for six minutes a day, you get rock-hard abs. So I bought one of those because I wanted rock-hard abs, and I didn't want to do the work. <laughs> you know. And you didn't want to control your diet? Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to. We all want the shortcut, and I think, the idea of the shortcut makes us make choices that don't come to fruition. So, you know, you buy the ab rocker, you pay for the money for it. After one month, you realize that it doesn't work. It's been a complete waste of your money. But in your mind, you go, I can't do it. It's not for me. that's just rubbish. You just yeah. haven't thought it through. You haven't done the work. You haven't looked at what the obstacles that could get in the way with, you know, I think. For me, it's what I do naturally is what I have to teach other people to do and what I have to teach leaders to do is, you know, you want rock hard abs in six minutes a day, then there's probably 40 or 50 different ways to do it. What you need to do is narrow down the right one for you and Mm. you create a plan, test the plan, test and measure, see how you're going. You know, I'm, I'm big on the idea of measuring yourself against the process and against the progress. So, you know, I don't like to go, I'm going to give this a shot and get to there. No, well, that didn't work out. I like to go, I'm going to give this a shot. How am I going? You know, mm. and, you know, the marathon was an example of that. Footy was an example of that. Like, I, I wasn't any good at footy, to be honest with you. I couldn't kick. I couldn't pass. <laughs> I couldn't sidestep. But when I tackled somebody, they looked like they'd been in a traffic accident. And, <laughs> and so I just went. Only way I'm going to make this team is if I do that sensationally well, because I just can't teach myself to sidestep or to kick or or to pass. I just don't have that natural talent, but I do have a natural affinity for being able to time a tackle. But what if I could get even better at that? And that's what give me the opportunity to play rugby league. It's just the fact that they can put me on the field and there be a chance that I jolt the ball out in a tackle and then Turning the ball over is part of the game, an important part of the game. So, you know, everything that you do, you can just find your space in it, and then do the work. There is no shortcut.
1: Is that one of the themes that you like? Is is identifying what you're good at and then emphasising that?
0: Yeah. So that one of my mantras is don't don't worry about fixing your weaknesses. Emphasise your your strengths. You know, because mm. the time it takes to like. We both will stick with that footy example. The time it would have taken me to learn to pass, sidestep, and kick would have been so hard and taken so long, and I may never have been reasonable at it. But the amount of time it took me to improve my tackling ability by ten percent was n- nothing at all. You know, it just
1: yeah, already naturally good at it.
0: That's right. And so finding that strength, invest in what you're good at. Step into it. Step into the strength and make it an absolute remarkable attribute of who you are.
1: And you know that every coach wants someone like that in their team. Every coach wants a David Gillespie or a Trevor Gilmeister or a Dallas Johnson. It's just a fabulous thing to have in your team knowing someone is going to put a hit on, someone is never going to let someone go past them. So you identified something that's valuable to your organization And he said, all right, this is good. I've got a niche thing here. I know it's important. I'm going to emphasize that strength. Forget about what I'm bad at and just really work on what I'm great, good at and make it great. I love it. Now, this example that you gave before, I really liked it. The busy executive who knows in the back of their mind they should be reading to their six-year-old every night before they go to bed because that's great for relationships. It's great for literacy too, obviously, but it's great for the relationship. But, uh, but they can give themselves a million excuses. I'm too busy. I've got to check my emails. Jeez, I've had a busy day. I just want to sit down and relax with a glass of wine. Please go to bed, small child. But they know they should do that. Is play the bigger game always necessarily doing more, just one more thing, squeezing something extra into your life?
0: Sometimes it's doing less. You no. Know? Sometimes it's... uh it's eliminating stuff to from your life because you are too busy in and, and choosing not to do stuff. And uh, you know, for, I, I, leaders, I love working with leaders because uh, I think there is so much opportunity for leaders to do exactly what we're talking about is to eliminate stuff from their lives, you know, or, or particularly from their working life. Cause we have this, uh, we, as leaders, we wear a badge of busy. I'm busy, oh, oh, yes. I'm so busy, oh, I'm busy. But it's sometimes we're so busy as leaders doing stuff that somebody else could do. And in, in my uh, in my leadability book, I, I talk about a conversation. I was mentoring a group of leaders where I get to sit in in the boardroom on the sidelines and listen to the 14 people in the boardroom discuss strategy and decisions around the table. And then I would provide them feedback about leadership, culture and structure. And... This CEO, when he was being questioned by a group of leaders, said to them, I don't, I don't know. What would you do? And I thought it was such a powerful statement. <coughs> this, this guy was going, I don't have all the answers. And you guys are smart enough to come up with the answer to that. All, all you're doing is being lazy leaders and waiting for me to tell you where to go. But, um, so the, the point there is there was an example of a leader going, Well, I could make all the decisions and I would just be busier and busier and people would come to me with wanting all the answers. But if I feed it back by using those three wonderful words, I don't don't know, what would happen? And so what happened was over the next six months, his leaders started to take responsibility and make decisions, which gave him the ability to take a step up and have a helicopter view of the whole business instead of being the person who made all the decisions. In fact, he had more time
1: than he'd ever had before. So it's not about always doing more, it's about working smarter. Awful cliché, but it's right on the money for this. Yeah. I
0: reckon if you sat down and went uh, tracked yourself for a whole week of all the things you do, and Mm -hmm. then went, which ones of those are useful, I reckon it's
1: 50%. I think we would be all horrified to find out the way that we really do spend our time All right, Rowdy, we have so quickly run out of time. I've got one really important final question for you. So, People are listening to this. They've been compelled by your story as I have. They love the four things that we can all control in our life. They get it. They've bought into it. They're feeling a little bit motivated. They know they've left some money on the table in the life they've led so far. They know they've left a little bit of their game out there. What can we do tomorrow what can i do today how do i start taking these first steps to just lift my game in life so that i'm getting bigger rewards and ultimately i'm more content and happy with who i am i think i love
0: teaching the people that i work with the concept of stacking so concept of stacking is to just choose one thing and get that done so You know, if you haven't had any success in any of your life, choose one thing that you can do tomorrow that will be the first step in that success. So, you know, it might be I'll go on a five-kilometer walk or, you know, it might be I'll read that first book to my child or it might be I'm not going to eat any anything sugary just tomorrow. And that's the start of the journey because if you can do that for one day, you can do it for two days. If you can do it for two, you can do it for three and, you know, it's, don't try and do six different goals at the same time. Just do one thing. Just make one change and lock that down. So don't try and learn to speak Spanish, uh, plan a holiday to Paris, uh, run a marathon. Run a marathon. Uh, <laughs> ride a pool, <ball>, you know. <laughs>
1: Start a business.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go, what's, what's one thing that, what's, what's the one, one thing? thing that I think I can do? You know, and I, I don't, Choose one thing that you're sure you can do. Choose one thing that you think you can do. That's a little bit of a stretch and get that done. And then choose the next thing. And, you know, ultimately that's the whole story of a people he faced long haired kid from Gaira. He just went, what's one thing I could do that would be different to my family, my friends, the, you know, the, the community that I live in and just do that thing. And then I went, well, actually that panned out all right. I might choose another one and then choose another one and then get better at it and you know i pinch myself i pinch myself that i have to i get to be on your podcast talking about this topic because i just look back and go i can't believe how far i've come you know it amazes me that i'm sitting here talking to you about this and it's been shared with so many people people are incredibly unbelievably amazing and the world's tough right i get that life can be really really hard but here's the thing it's I would never tell people that life is easy because it's not. What I would tell people is that you are massively capable of all of the challenges that the world throws up. You are capable of overcoming every
1: single one of them. Rowdy McLean, that is a, a beautiful way to end it. I can't thank you enough for your time today. I've really enjoyed our chat.
0: Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Like I said, I, I pinch myself that I get to do it. And I'm glad that you've taken the time to allow me to do it.
1: And that was Rowdy McLean. I love that conversation. I'm sure you could tell. Rowdy energizes me. He's articulate in such a modest, real, authentic way. And how about those four things? The four things that we can all control in our life. Number one, choose your attitude. We choose our attitude the way we show up every day. Number two, take responsibility for our choices, every single one of them, all the time. It's our choice, so it's our responsibility. Number three, execute with integrity. Do what you say you'll do. Do it how you said you would do it even if it's just a promise you made to yourself, maybe even especially if it's a promise you made to yourself. And number four, get some grit, toughen up. Don't give up, persevere, stay the course. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Rowdy on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalog of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. You can connect with me on Twitter, facebook soundcloud or linkedin and join me for the next episode on this my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership this is david frizzell for team guru bye for now